I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, you know, it's not that deep. You can walk across. <laughs> Told you we should have stuck to the tracks. Is it me, or are you the world's biggest pussy? I suppose this is fun for you. No, but this is. Come on, Kitty, act your age. This is my age. I'm in the prime of my youth, and I'll only be young once. Yeah, but you're going to be stupid for the rest of your life. Oh, oh, you just signed Rico, your own report. You die, Chambers! <laughs> Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now, here's your host, Armand Haddad. Hello and welcome to another episode of Syndicate. I'm your host, Armand Haddad. This season we're exploring the cinematic adaptations of beloved stories. Today we are looking at Stand By Me by Rob Reiner. But before we have an existential crisis by stumbling upon a dead body in the forest, I am joined by talented hosts of Buzz in the Tower, Max Sanders and Mo Shapiro. Max and Mo, welcome to the show. Ooh, that's nice. It rhymed. I like that. You guys want to see a dead body? <laughs> Funny thing is, Max had that line ready to go regardless of what you're doing. <laughs> you're not, yeah, drunk, yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. You turned me into a serial killer last year. I've episode. turned you into a, the victim. I've turned him into a it's serial killer. It's just mannequins. Killer. It's just mannequins. On behalf of my sociopathic co host and myself, uh, thank you so much for having me on. Really excited to talk about this movie today and big fan of your show. So, this is great for us. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely love your show too, Buzz in the Tower. And speaking of your show, how did this all begin? Well, before Max was a sociopathic serial killer, he uh, he and I met bartending at the largest college bar in Ann Arbor. I'm not allowed oh, to call wow. it by name or Max has a panic attack. So I just say the largest. That's too specific. It's too specific. Yeah. There you go. This was my second tour of duty bartending. When I came back, I was a little bit uh, long in the tooth and gray in the beard. And I was introduced to this young buck, Max Sanders. And the service industry is great. You meet people, you work, you bartend, but you build this kind of family. Right? You pour liquids into cups. You do. Great. It's, it's the fun. It's really <laughs> one of the. It's honestly one of the most fun jobs. Of, I mean, Max is still bartending. Obviously, COVID has put a little bit of a, of a break on that, but he is the Pied Piper of Ann Arbor. But when I came back to bartend, we'd get out of work at you know, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, and we'd head over to this pizza place, um, and they'd always give us kind of the leftover pizza, and the whole staff would be there. Our bartenders, waitresses, bouncers, and Max and I would just kind of riff off each other. We talk about TV shows, Predator. movies, Predator. And this is years ago, right? So fast forward, we've become really good friends and the pandemic hit. And 
Max had a break from work because of the bar shot down and I think slowed down a little bit at work. And I was kind of thinking to myself, you know, because at this point now I'm doing early education, child care is my day job. And then I'm a volunteer firefighter. That's my night and day job. And so, three kids. Somehow. And three kids. I'm a little busy, <laughs> wow. a little busy. Yeah. But Congratulations. We, thank you. Thank you. We, um, I don't know. We kind of just like the world was on fire and we were like, let's just do something fun for us. No, you, correction. You were going to do something fun. I you, was going to do something call, fun. He, call, he called me. He's like, I'm going to start a podcast. And I go, you have to let me on. He goes, ah. I don't know. He called me <laughs> out of a nap and gave me a nine minute interview. And I thought it was pretty bad. I thought I ruined it. I was like, no, oh, you I'm, were good on I'm the first one. He calls me back. He goes, that's pretty good. Well, we're going to do this. And he goes, what should we talk about? And knowing him and his proclivities for 80s movies. I do love 80s. Yeah. 80s. I was like, let's, I was just, you know, sugar to a lamb kind of thing. Is that a thing? No, no, I like it. Sugar to a lamb. Yeah, okay. it's, a, it's a sweet lamb. It's good. <laughs> so 80s movies. It was, we dived in and it's been a joy because the nostalgic community is the, are the nicest people on earth. And, yeah. you know, when the world's having a lot of issues, kind of re the remember when of it all, of movies and in the 80s has been fun. I'm sure you get it all the time when you do nostalgic movies. Oh, absolutely. And the reason why I was so drawn towards your podcast is because I have an affinity to the 80s as well. Yes. And I absolutely love 80s movies. There's just something about them, like the charm, yep. the practical effects, mm -hmm. the stories mm -hmm. being told on screen. You know, not going to knock, you know, the modern movies or the movies that come out now because no, do those it. are good do too. <laughs> but there's just something special about the 1980s and like that mindset surrounding it. It's just like, it just feels good and it's cozy. And like here on Syndicate, we did quite a few 80s movies, uh, Gremlins being one. Oh, Max loves that movie. That was the first one I listened to of yours when I was looking through the catalog. Oh, like, yes. Thank you. <laughs> Gremlins is oh such a special movie, and it's so good. So since you guys love the '80s so much, I have to ask: Buzz in the Tower. Where did the name come from? So like my, I, I said that my day job's in childcare, but more specifically mm -hmm. marketing. And when mm -hmm. Max and I were spending months, I mean four or five months, deciding are we going to be a podcast about Keanu Reeves movies? Are we going to be a podcast about that? Almost happened. Yeah, that almost happened. <laughs> um, and we and we land and we love Keanu Reeves. It was actually kind of heartbreaking. The only downside of Buzz in the Tower is that we don't get to talk about Point Break because it wasn't made. In you the squeeze 80s. Keanu Reeves in. I, I try to. I try. I'm wearing my Wild Stallions T-shirt right that now. That is just exactly. um, But. The Buzz in the Tower, we were kind of trying to think of like a different different sets of names. You know, one of the ones we almost landed on was um what was it? If Fine you, till eighty nine. No, what was the if it if you uh if you can podcast it, oh, it bleeds or if it can pod, you can cast it. Yeah, if it, like a, a spin on Schwarzenegger's line Predator. But we we landed on Buzz in the Tower <laughs> because to us, that line from Top Gun and the movie Top Gun in general. Mm -hmm. is is just the most dripping with 80s movie that you can imagine i mean it, top gun mm -hmm. is the 80s it's it's just over the top big budget manly man toughness but mixed, motorcycles mixed, yeah, like motorcycles volleyball <laughs> jet fighters like so we we landed on buzzing the tower and then went through this process of buzzing is it ing is it apostrophe and all, some other people already had the names and voila mm. buzzing the tower now i have something to admit you might hate me for this. I, I think I know. I think I know what you're going to admit because it would probably tie to your first question of how did we come up? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen. I've never seen Top Gun. Uh, all right. So uh, I, I, I'm not. I'm not going to get too upset. So I, I, going back to Max's earlier point about the community, one of the there's this thing called the '80s Happy Hour, and it's ran by a couple mm. really talented guys who have amazing Instagram accounts. John and Timmy. Yep. And '80s dude, and Back to the '80s with a Z. Yep. And their episode <laughs> last night, they did this kind of like live chat, and they did exactly what you just did. They asked questions of the people on there. What is your, oh my God, I never saw this movie. Yeah. A few people, like just, you know, Max had never seen The Goonies, which I think is much more of a travesty than missing Top Gun. Okay, so. Blade Runner. All right, fine. Yeah. Mine is Blade Runner. But yeah. no, we were- Armand, you got to love Blade Runner. Please tell me you love Blade Runner. I absolutely love Blade yes. Runner. Oh, it's so good. But that's, so we don't have too much judgment. It happens to the best of us. We, we like to say, if you haven't seen it, that's not the travesty. It's once we make you aware of it, you got to go watch it, yep. right? Yeah. So it's on your list. You got to go see Top Gun. I mean, it's always been on my list. I know some scenes. I know about the volleyball scene, which comes before a certain death scene in the movie. Oh, too, too soon. Oh, yeah, too, too soon. soon. Yeah, too soon. We don't even talk about that. <laughs> Shout out, Goose. Miss you, buddy. Yeah. Roger that, Ghost Rider. So. <laughs> so you basically, you know, yeah, you got to go watch it. You already That's the line before the they say Buzz <laughs> That's literally the line before. <laughs> you know, through pop culture, I know some things. Okay. About yeah. Quite a few friends of mine have 
you know, they're obsessed with Top Gun too. So it's, it's a good, if aliens come to earth in 300 years and they're trying to understand our civilization, you're going to probably put Top Gun in there and just say, this is, this is America. Yeah. This you is could, take a look at America. You FaceTime us when you're watching it. We'll watch with you. <laughs> Perfect. Record it. Yeah. I, we hate watching that movie. So we're doing it just because we like you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Aliens will be like, hmm. This Tom Cruise <laughs> must have been their president. Or whoa, something. whoa, whoa, whoa! You're, you're Tom Cruise. You're, you're, the yeah, you're making you're making an implication that he's not already talking with those aliens. He's, Tom, no, he's gonna. Be you know, about Tom Cruise is uh, well involved with aliens right now. That's true. Yeah, I don't want I don't want any legal action against this podcast. Yeah, but Tom, we so love he's you. Probably in touch with Xenu or yeah. the Galactic Confederation. He, let me rephrase that. Tom Cruise is allegedly in touch with aliens right now. How about yes, that? Is that better? allegedly? There you go. Allegedly, yes. <laughs> LRH. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. As historians of the 1980s, other than nostalgia, what drew you towards this decade? It's funny. Max and I treat this podcast as like therapy sessions and we don't get into Mm -hmm. it too deeply probably on the show. Every once in a while we do. We, we, crack, we, we crack, yeah, Mother's Day, we crack the veneer and let everybody see the goo inside our brains. But a lot of these movies so it's kind of fun. Max and I come from different places on this because 90% of the movies that Max has seen that are 80s movies, he's watched in the last year. Whereas, you know, a lot of these movies were hitting me in my childhood at these incredibly important developmental milestones. Mm. So for me, I love these 80s movies and love talking about them because I can associate distinct memories of hey, I remember when my parents got divorced and my dad was taking me every weekend to go see Seagal movies. And that's mm-hmm. my love for these awful Seagal, that's <laughs> Seagal, Van Damme, and the Police Academy movies. That was like how my dad and I connected. We watched these in the theater, these terrible movies together. If you have oh, an autobiography, it should be Steven Seagal saved my life. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that's... You on the cover eating a carrot with right, like a black right. turtleneck. <laughs> Max on the other, and I speak. I speak by the way as Max's unofficial. No, I'm taking fifth, over. Fifth, fifth yeah. therapist right here. No, um, he, the absurdity of it. Yeah, and the like, carefreeness and the insanity. And it's kind of like your personality. Like you're yeah. you're Peter Pan. Yeah. And like a lot of these movies really embody kind of the the map of Peter Pan. Yeah. And Don Simpson movies just throw it against the wall. Let's try to do something. Let's yeah. make mannequins come alive. What if a guy's dead for an entire weekend and no one knows it? Like none of these movies get made nowadays. No, no. Like there was just a lot of insanity going on in Hollywood, and I just love that they went for it because you got to try in life. And, and me- I think the '80s movies define that go for it attitude, even if it's the most wild idea you've ever seen. And maybe the last right. piece of why we gravitate towards it is, like I said, we're we're Phoebe Cates. we're yeah, Phoebe Cates. No, that's not mine. Mine's uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Shue. You know, yeah, much yeah, more. True. I think probably the big the other big reason that we gravitate towards it is. And I want to be clear, Max and I are definitely cynical people and we're not always smiles and sunshine. But when we do this, it's very exciting for us to just kind of be positive and have fun with it. And when you when you deal with contemporary films, there's a lot of, you know, is this a good movie? Is it a bad movie? Let's put it under this judgment. Let's point out all the things that are wrong. When you're retrospectively looking at 80s movies, it's really easy for Max to say, Howard the Duck is one of one of the finest films ever made and for us to laugh about it and be okay about it. And we don't have oh. to go down this path. Who's laughing? Of... <laughs> <laughs> criticism so it keeps everything kind of like sweet and sugary and fun yeah uh, i mean i i feel you on both sides like i absolutely love the 1980s because of my childhood i haven't seen a lot of the movies in theaters because i'm not old enough <laughs> it was before my time but growing up my friends and i for some reason i don't know why we gravitated towards 80s horror movies so we would go up to blockbuster hollywood video or family video and like get like a huge tower of VHS tapes or DVD tapes. Yes. And we would just binge them. And we like found out like the formula of like these 1980s movies. Like it's like, okay, it's like this part's going to happen now. Like, oh, it's the third act. Like, <laughs> so I definitely feel you there. Like there's like a soft spot in my heart for the 1980s. And, but at the same time, I, I feel you, Max. Like there's a lot of 1980s movies I haven't seen, such as Top Gun. Yeah. And I need to get on that. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, thank you so much for coming on today. Like, it's this is going to be a wild ride of a conversation. It's going to be emotional. Oh, it's going to be emotional. (laughs) It's It's hard. Still to this day. Oh, man. The movie slaps and the movie hits. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Should be the tagline. (laughs) (laughs) Slapping and hitting uh, movie theaters near you. (laughs) 
So before we go any further, um, if you want to hear more of Max and Mo, please check out Buzz in the Tower where podcasts are available or connect with them on Instagram at Buzz in the Tower. That's B-U-Z-Z-N, the tower. And so let's travel back to 1986 with Stand By Me. Since this was your recommendation, how did you first hear of the movie Stand By Me? So kind of weird. It was cultural references before I actually saw the movie. I watched like episodes of The Simpsons, Don't mm-hmm. Be a Menace in South Central, when it's like, y'all want to see a dead body? Remember that? <laughs> I do. Yeah, I, do. I know. So I never fully got it. And finally, when I was like 12 or 13, I watched it. And I was like, oh, I, I get it. Four kids, you know, going to see a dead body. This is going to be hokey. <laughs> and I still, to this day, every time I watch it, I'm not psyched before I watch it. And then I'm a mess mm-hmm. before when I'm done. When you actually get into it, I'd argue it's one of the top 10 perfect movies. It's just start to finish, hour 28 minutes of just emotional friendship connection and what life's about. Absolutely. I had kind of what I would call three different viewing experiences with this movie. So the first time I saw it, I was probably around 11 years old, 10 or 11 years old, and it had just come out on VHS. So I was born in 78. At 10 years old, it was 88. So maybe like two, three years after the movie came out in the theater and it was available on VHS, I saw the whole movie. When I watched it as a child, I vividly remember the larger themes were totally irrelevant, right? Like that we'll talk mm-hmm. about today. Yeah. I just remember thinking like, oh my God, this is me and my friends. Like this is this is absolutely me and my friends. Like I just was about to head into, or maybe I already was in middle school. And some of these relationships that I had had from my youth were starting to fade and change a little bit. Girls were coming into the picture. Everything was changing. <laughs> and this this movie completely captured my experience. And I, I remember like loving it just for that reason. I was like, oh my God, this is absolutely could see myself in these characters, could see my friends in these characters. You think you're Chris, don't you? I don't know who I think I am. You think you're I Chris. think I'm a little bit of all of them. That's kind of the nice part. I'm a Vern. <laughs> you're definitely a Vern. <laughs> Fast forwarding, watching it again in high school and in college, pulled on the heartstrings really predominantly for the... Some of my friends I wasn't talking to as much as I used to, although I'm in a unique situation. The, the, one of the best quotes in this entire movie about how you'll never have friends like you did when you were 11 years Jesus, old. Do I? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually have almost all of the same friends I did from that age. And I think it's oh, wow. because none of us want to let go. So Fair. It's, go. I know, I know. Friends are supposed to be like bus boys. But Get that was, there. that was kind of my college viewing experience <laughs> is that I really, I really saw it that way. Now as an adult watching it, the all of the themes and the messages and just the significance of being a good parent and watching mm-hmm. these broken children because of the the what's going I mean I, it's almost three different movies to me so that's kind of my and we'll I'm sure we're going to dive a lot into all those themes but that to me is like I distinctly remember these three different I, mean, I just watched this last week in preparation for this and it's the first time I've watched this movie since having kids and it hit me in a completely different way than it did on all the other ones did your kids watch it Oh, I'm, I don't think my kids are ready for this. What? My kids, <laughs> I could put them in front of like Friday the 13th and they'd be fine. I think like they, I don't, I don't know. They'd for the be, pie eating contest alone, yeah, kids they, would die. I think they'd throw up. They kind of have no. like light stomachs. Oh, you're raising weaklings. <laughs> raising weaklings. Thanks. Thanks, Max. <laughs> PhD in parenting across from me right now. <laughs> 16 kids. So I hope, that, I hope that answers your question that, yes, that's how we saw it. And also Max is not fit to be a parent. So those are your, those are your <laughs> answered and unanswered questions. So it's kind of funny how... You know, such a simple movie can impact our lives in such meaningful ways and um, how a movie can change its meaning from different life stages as we look back and, you know, digest these movies once again. Like with Stand By Me, like you saw it when you were a kid and you're like, oh, yeah, like this is my friend group. And I definitely feel you there because like with Stephen King, like he when he writes like an ensemble cast type situation with children it's usually like a diverse group of kids you got like the fat kid you got like the nerdy kid you got like the the more jockey football kid and then like the normal guy yeah like that was my friend group i was the nerd in the group i'm <laughs> i'll be the first one to admit that uh yeah but yeah we had like a fat kid you got like the football kid and then like the normal guy so yeah like watching because i just watched this movie uh based on your recommendation and I was, I was like, oh my goodness, like, this was my friend group, we right. did stupid stuff like this, yeah, yeah, like, oh, let's hang out in the clubhouse, like, oh, we have to go, like, oh, like, we just traverse the forest for no damn reason. Yeah, secret uh, secret knocks and card games that you don't understand. I still don't understand what they were playing. <laughs> it, was, it was a made-up poker game, I, I think. guess so. Uh. Some variant that Vegas is like, oh, no. <laughs> we're not doing that. No, probably not. <laughs> but, yeah, and then... 
Uh, I don't have kids yet, but I can see as a parent looking on this movie and being like, ah, like there's some parenting moments there and that we're going to get into with uh, John Cusack's character. And what was the main character's name again? Gordy. Gordy. Oh, (laughs) that is the weird thing about this movie. The names are interchangeable. I switch the names all the time. Like the names don't fit. The main character doesn't feel like a Gordy. Vern feels like a Gordy. Right. Mm -hmm. That also goes back to the original Stephen King's original work on this before it became a movie was not focused on Gordy and they moved it around quite a bit. That was Rob Reiner's decision. Yeah, it was all four kids at the similar perspectives, right? Yeah, yeah. In the book, The Body. Because, like, I think when I think of the name Gordy, it's derived from Gordo, Gordon, and Gordo means fat in Spanish. Yeah. So I think it's the fat kid. Yeah, he doesn't seem like Gordy. I'm in complete concordance with you. (laughs) Yeah. But, anyways, since this is an adaptation of Stephen King, since we mentioned The King. Are you two fans of Stephen King and Stephen King's work? Max, you've you've read his work, Huge. right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like I'm not a so this is my my dirty secret, right? Yours was Top Gun. Mine <laughs> I just I do not read. I'm not a big reader. Like I read articles, I read short stuff, but I I'm not mm-hmm. audiobooks, bro. Uh, yeah. I know. I probably should. But, <laughs> but Max is definitely um a consumer of literature. I'm a Stephen King adaptation fan. Like I I've never mm. watched a film. We were just doing uh, our sci-fi episode and we were talking about The Running Man and how The Running Man was oh, yeah. adapted from a Stephen King novel. And I'm just like, yes. where is his thumbprint not found? Stephen King under disguise as Richard Bachman. Right, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so from the research I've done, which again, not firsthand, I wouldn't even be a good person to interview firsthand on reading a book. I wouldn't give you a good review of it, but- What's the last book you read? Oh God, man, I don't want to answer that question. Man. Tipping point, maybe Malcolm Gladwell, a couple of <laughs> Malcolm a Gladwell one. books. Yeah. yeah. I mean, years ago. The one thing that I find incredible, and I think you just touched on this, is this diverse character development, that he is, he is such a good storyteller. Exactly. When you pair that with Rob Reiner, who I think does an outstanding job at allowing characters to exist. You know, the, my best example I would give anyone is The Princess Bride, where you have these mm. singular characters that are so remarkable so rememberable you know like they're they're just outstanding he doesn't re- he doesn't need arnold to carry an entire film and, and then just have a bunch of other characters i think very few people do the ensemble cast as well as rob reiner does and very few people write ensemble characters as well as stephen king so it's kind of a match made in heaven right yeah he actually i mean stephen king never liked an adaption of his book before this movie and this was his favorite <laughs> yeah. yeah well during the screening really? of he this, cried. he left the theater. Rob Reiner freaked out. He's like, did I ruin it? Like, what happened? Stephen King goes, that's the most accurate depiction of my work. Yeah. But a little wow. bit, screw Stephen King. Sorry, but Christine rules, Cujo rules, The Shining rules. What is he? Th- I'm, I'm a little annoyed. Why Why? why are we, why'd you say screw Stephen King? Because he hates those movies. Oh, well, yeah. But I mean, again, I've read the books. Rule. I know, but the books apparently <laughs> more. No, I've read the books. They're equal rulage. Max, yeah. Max gets fired up for... All types of weird well, reasons. I feel you, Max, but you know, from his point of view, and I kind of touched upon this in the Shining episode, if you write a book and someone, like a director, takes it and then like changes so many things, yeah. you'd be like, what the heck? Like, you'll feel like personally attacked. I would be honored if someone like took like a short story I wrote and like put it on the big screen. I'd be like, oh my goodness. Not exactly the same, but like, <laughs> still, it's on the movie screen. This is cool. Yeah. Yeah, we're not there. Right. We're not in King's world. So it's like, how can I judge him? I guess. He, yeah, I love right. Christine so much. I know. He's immensely <laughs> talented. But I mean, it is tough, right? Like part of the reason that he said that he loved it so much is that changing the narrative and having it be more about Gordy, you know, Gordy was Stephen King, right? Like, yeah. like I mean, the, the character right. that embodied the most of who Stephen King was, an awkward, introverted, brilliant writer. <laughs> I mean, like that's basically who Gordy is. So it's not that shocking that it would touch him that way to see that character that way. Exactly. Yeah. Stephen King writes what he knows, which is being an author. Which yes, is he does. The main character. Yeah, yeah. And apparently horrific murders and <laughs> pet cemeteries, <laughs> well, <he> was, <laughs> cars that kill people. And, you know, it's all right. You know, it's funny. Uh, he is, he's really bad at ending stories for the most part. His books kind of taper yeah. out a little bit. So he made mm-hmm. fun of himself with the, the uh, pie eating contest, the pie eating contest yeah, yeah. when everyone's like, so what happened afterwards? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, that's kind of how his story that but, makes perfect sense. But it's kind of great that this movie has a perfect ending too. the last 30 right. minutes are probably the best of the whole movie. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. This, this is Max. I'm, welcome. Welcome to doing a show. I'm very excited. I usually <laughs> I trink him up. I do like a animal tranquilizer dart to the neck to try to bring him down. And it dart your neck. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We don't want to finish too early on this podcast, <laughs> but before we go any further, listeners of the show know what time it is. It's time some elevator pitches Woo! please stand clear of the closing door so for those that don't know if you're selling a movie on a friend 
you really only have 60 seconds to do so. So to simulate that today, Max and Mo, you are going to summarize the entire plot of Stand By Me while avoiding major spoilers in under a minute. However, since I have two guests on, we are going to split that time with 30 seconds each. Max, you are going to start the pitch. Oh, boy. And at the 30-second mark, Mo, you are going to finish his Ooh, pitch. Ooh, I like that. Guys, are you ready? Sure. Don't leave me stranded, Max. <laughs> okay, okay. Don't leave me. I don't, I'm not a good finisher. I'm like Stephen King. Don't leave me stranded. <laughs> you, you can talk your way out of a cardboard box. Well, you're about to make a cardboard box, yeah. so we'll see how I can get out of it. Okay. We are going to start in three, two, one, go. Okay, it's the summer of 1959, Castle Rock, Maine. There's four 12-year-old boyfriends. Boys who are friends. Not, they're not dating. <laughs> wow. Right, uh, the clock is still running. <laughs> Chris, Teddy, and Vern. And, you know, they're hanging out. They're having fun. Vern says there's a dead body somewhere in the woods. They're going to go on an adventure. They're not going to tell anyone what they're doing. They're going to find the body, and they're going to be heroes. And a lot of chaos happens along the way, including making fun of each other and lifelong friendships are formed. Through their adventure <laughs> in this coming of age story, foy, these four boys learn the value of friendship, the value of confidence, and realize that although the train tracks continue straight, uh, symbolizing the journey of life, if you're not careful, you can get knocked off of it and become a dead body on the side of the road. Well, there you go. With five seconds to spare. I, I, I secede my five extra seconds for Max's flub at the beginning. Cuber Dreyfus, <laughs> voiceover. <laughs> That is the most, what you just witnessed is the most classic Max thing ever. Did I overdo it? No, you're like, you have 30 seconds and you spent 10 of those seconds apologizing for saying. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you gave us a minute. The real elevator pitch for this movie is four boys go on an adventure of a lifetime, realizing the value of friendship and the fleeting moments of their youth. That's it. Absolutely. And I loved both versions of your elevator pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yours, mine, mine would not get picked no, up. No, yours was great. You gave me a cardboard box, so I appreciate it. It's a bunch of boyfriends. Uh, the friends that are boys, they're not dating each other. Well, maybe they are. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Pride month. There's anything wrong with that. If they want to, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very progressive, but uh, how much time are we at? Give me a clock. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, let's let's jump right into it. So, yeah, Stand By Me, It's uh, it's a group of childhood friends and you know just like with every friend group uh hey there's a dead body let's go look at the dead body because why not we all have this morbid curiosity and especially as children that are sheltered in their you know in their clubhouse in the treehouse you know they want to see something visceral they want to see something that's you know beyond them so they decide to go on an adventure and they go and they try to see this dead body in the forest or try to discover this dead body in the forest what was their plan when they found the dead body? Because they wanted to report it and be heroes, right? So how are right. they going to bring it back? Well, they were, they were going to create the, the little gurney with the twigs and everything. And they were going to bring it all the way back. They could have cut to, there was towns on the way where they Oh, were yeah, at. yeah, yeah. So, they flagged down a train. It's interesting because although the mortality issue is certainly a big driver in here, I think mm-hmm. the other part of it too is you have all of these children who are looking to establish identity. So like identity establishment is something that happens in puberty and adolescence. It's you're no longer a part of a family. You're trying to create independence and establish new groups. And for them, attaching that to being a hero, being in the newspaper, being on the radio, getting out of town, yeah, getting out of town. These are all kind of like entrenched themes that happen to all of us. Right. We all want to be a superhero. We all I mean that. So you have these kind of two parallel themes that are going on, which is driving their journey right because this whole movie is a journey that's what the whole thing is about it's a journey through life a journey emotionally and uh and just self-awareness recognition right and let's talk about gordy for a second yes so gordy yeah this is my first time watching the movie yeah mazel top yeah (laughs) i always heard about this movie you know when you pitched it to me you're like, we're going to do Stand By Me. I'm like, isn't that the movie about dead body and the kids find it by the railroad? So that's all I knew about it. And I had no idea it was a Stephen King adaptation. So naturally, I read the novella first. And it was very faithful, the movie to the book, which I was surprised because, you know, sometimes it's a little different. Mm-hmm. But with Gordy's character, I was surprised on how deep his character is because, like, he comes from a broken home. Yeah, pretty much. 
Um, like his parents are not divorced, but they're very distant towards Gordy. They definitely favor his older brother, Denny, who's played by John Cusack. I mean, how can you not love John Cusack as like the perfect 1950s quarterback? He's even nice to Gordy. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's the best, kindest, gentlest sibling in all 80s cinema. In movie history, maybe. Uh, he, I, it's his, he might win. <laughs> the tenderness that he has towards his brother is just, the, I think actually that might be the the secret backdoor emotional pull on me is just their yeah. interactions and they're so small right. but i just every time i see them the the yankees hat yeah it's just so beautiful oh, when ace takes it and he loses his well mind. no not that when he, i'm here in the dark place i mean just <laughs> when he, just when he gives it to him that's yeah. the part for okay. me that was, yeah i was saying it was a good place because he wanted it back so much he would even take on ace sure <laughs> why <laughs> yeah with uh with gordy and his brother like absolutely love that dynamic because like it was like the picture perfect older brother younger brother family dynamic and the big stain on gordy's you know character developments are his parents and you know as the movie progresses gordy because like the whole story is framed through older gordy as him as an adult like writing mm-hmm. his memoir mm-hmm. about you know his childhood experience and so he touches upon his family dynamic at the time because his brother unfortunately died when he was young and the family did not recover from that. And they definitely took it out on Gordy and like, there's a sense of like guilt. Like, why did my brother have to die? And for me to live, like, why do I have to keep on going? And he is, you know, in the grave, like it's not fair. And there's this guilt with him. And like, it's personified by flashbacks of when, He's looking back to his father specifically, and his father is like, that should have been you in the grave, not my older son. That was, that was brutal. Yeah. yeah. Even and additionally, and this is this goes back to like the nuance of this film, which I really appreciate. It would be very easy to portray his father's behavior as a. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. byproduct of his quarterback son dying yeah but then they show the flashback being at the dinner table before the big game that they brush off the writing and yeah and you can see the seeds of this dysfunction were sowed so much longer before he passed Mm -hmm. away that the dysfunction the straw that broke the camel's back on the dysfunction was him passing away but there are there's a history of just this horrible scenario and that his older brother as his guardian as his protector is trying to shield him from that. And you can see the mom tries and she's brushed off by the father, but that his brother was, you know, the, 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 the ego, the super ego, like his brother was his confidence. And when his brother died, his confidence died. And I think that's a, that's a a critical theme in this for the development of Gordy that, you know, really that's what's coming to terms with the whole app, the whole movie. And really, so like, I think, not to get too emotional because I'll try to avoid it because Max rolls his eyes at me, but I get emotional. I know. So my, both my parents passed away in my early twenties. And like I said, I, I carried those friends that I had from when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. And the role that, you know, Chris Chambers played by river Phoenix plays for Gordy in this movie of stepping into the role of what his brother would have done, you know, like supporting him, protecting him, nurturing him. That to me is the cornerstone of this film is the value of friendship. Whether those friends stay with you, like my sick friend group that's been together for 30 years, or whether they change and go separate ways, that support mechanism existing in lieu of any parental support mechanism is is really beautiful. I mean, that to me is like the most touching part of the story is that sometimes your parents are awful. This is a group of four kids who all have 
well, you assume Vern's parents aren't terrible, but the other children's no, parents. No, his brother is a mess. Yeah, in the, exactly, the yeah. Cobras. So like, they did you have to, yeah, wrong. they did something yeah. wrong. <laughs> but you, you, you know, in lieu of having this horrible dysfunctional family, you're lucky enough to have a second family, which is your friends, and that they work as a support mechanism for each other. Right. I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see why you held on to those childhood friendships because, like, I'm a little envious because. My stand by me group, like we all dispersed. Same. Like that theme of like friendship and like childhood development, like really hit home for me because it's like, man, I remember those days. You know, as you go through life, like there's certain stages and there's this sense of acceptance as you go through life because like things are going to be changing. Things are always going to be in state of transition and you have to come to terms with that. And with the main character Gordy, he comes to terms with that, you know, as he's writing out the story and like going through it and like, you know, putting pen to paper to move on and to, you know, cherish those memories at the same time. Stephen King is great at this, taking kind of light ideas and putting a darkness or a heaviness in them and vice versa in dark, scary right. movies like it. And he can put kind of a lightness where there are friend groups mm -hmm. like this. It's almost a, a hammer covered in bubble wrap. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he hits you with right. the message, but he also sprinkles in this wonderful friendship. Like, the way they razz each other or the way they make fun of each <laughs> other. Like, when uh, Vern comes to the treehouse and forgets the knock and yeah. they're just ripping him. Or they're singing the song like, no, 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 we're done. And then he starts again and they just they go right back at it. Yeah, Like, it's both sides of the coin. And that's what makes it hit so hard is he can switch from Chris and Gordy having a heart-to-heart to them roasting Vern about dropping his weenie in the fire. I, I think through, <laughs> I think in addition, one of the things that was really, I give all credit to Rob Reiner on this because I think this is why Stephen King probably loved this movie as much as he did. If you listen to interviews with, you know, whether it's Corey Feldman or Jerry O'Connell or River Phoenix or Will Wheaton, they will tell you these characters were very similar to who they were. Yep. And Rob Reiner went through thousands of young children trying to like, you know, find the right one for the role and the development of these roles. And even the first few weeks after everybody had gotten the part and they were getting ready to shoot, Rob Reiner didn't go over any lines with these kids. He took all of them and played games with them, got them to develop a friendship with each other, wow. did like theatrical games with them. It so was two they, weeks before shooting that yeah, they all hung out. Yeah. That and, always works on movies, always. And, and also these kids were all 11, 12, 13. I mean, they, this wasn't, you know, this wasn't Ralph Macchio, who was 45 years old when he played Daniel Russo in The Karate <laughs> Kid. Right? Yeah. Just whatever, whatever. <laughs> but I mean, he, I mean, and now knowing what we know about all the, I mean, listening to Will Wheaton talk about River Phoenix is almost as emotional as watching Stand By Me. I mean, like he just, he did take that role of caring for him and that River Phoenix's personality was like this. He was just this really caring. Mm. And that the fact that he passed away prematurely. And At then, 23. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything came together perfectly. Like Max and I have episodes on Buzz in the Tower called recasting episodes. We'll do like recasting The Empire mm. Strikes Back, recasting mm. Princess Bride. We can never do this. We can never the, do this. I, and I joke all the time how, oh, we could never recast. How can we recast this movie? I will tell, I'll put a stake in the ground right now. This is an unrecastable movie because these characters yeah. almost, it almost seems like this is a biopic and not even a film. So I'll beg this question. Is River Phoenix the greatest child actor ever in this movie? Is it the greatest role? I think it is. I don't think there's anything that can touch it. The cool guy who's also vulnerable, who shows mm -hmm. like the emotions, like when he's crying about the milk money, like it doesn't feel like acting. It feels like, I guess he did a few scenes. He, he tried that a few times. It wasn't working. Rob Reiner pulled him aside and he goes, I want you to think about a time that a parent upset you or uh, someone. A grown-up let a, a grown, you down. A grown-up let you down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he didn't ask him what it was. And the next one they shot, he just nailed it. And it's like, I don't think there's a cooler and also more kind of understandable lead role as someone under 18 on screen. Yeah, River Phoenix, you know, and his brother Joaquin are phenomenal actors. And it shows because like with River, like he was, oh, he was taken before his time. What was his last big movie? Indiana Jones? Yeah, which sneakers. Which, sneakers. Yeah, but the Indiana Jones thing was rough too because like they did that on purpose. They oh, were, they were gonna, gonna do they were gonna do a whole series on No uh, way. They, they ended that. up they ended up doing a series called like the Young Indiana Jones, but River Phoenix would have been perfect for it. Yeah. You know? It's the greatest Damn. opening in movie history. <laughs> you throw a 
What it is? You can learn everything about Indiana Jones. We've got we've got the greatest child acting scene in world history. We got the greatest opening scene in history. I I just I love how you get the whip, the scar, the snakes. (laughs) It belongs to the museum. The hat. It's everything. Best child actor, believe me, tremendous. (laughs) He's fantastic. Whoa, (laughs) man. I'm going to have to take a cold shower and think about that. Yeah, reevaluate everything. Reevaluate everything. <laughs> no, but seriously, like, these kids, like, it definitely felt like a real friendship. And yeah. that's what, you know, as a, as the audience looking at these kids, like, that's what creates those tender moments. And that's what makes us look back upon our own lives. Is like, like, yes, my friend group was exactly like this. Like, it feels authentic on screen. Because, like, a lot of films now, I don't think they do what Rob Reiner did, which is have the actors hang out for extended amount of time, develop a bond. So when it's, like, captured on film, it's real. It's not fake. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I don't know why they don't remake this in different decades. You know, someone should just use this. I I was thinking about an EDM festival where they find a dead body. (laughs) All right. So, moving along. This is is when the tranquilizer I put in his neck at the beginning of the episode. (laughs) We have to now give him some coffee. Uh, no, it's a, it's a great point. And look, I mean, everything about this movie, the writing, I mean, there, there are some lines in this that are just, they're gut-wrenchingly honest and they bear your soul. I, for me, when Chris Chambers is kind of, when Gordy loses it and, and they're talking and, and the one line, I even wrote it down. I usually go off memory, but I didn't want to butcher this because I just think it's so important. He says, referring to God giving him this talent to be a writer this is what we got for you, kid. He's imitating God giving into it. Try not mm. to lose it. And he said, kids lose everything unless there's someone there to look out for them. That line to me, so I said, I mentioned yeah. rewatching this as a parent yeah. and how like this struck me. That line, my eyes welled up. Yeah. Because if there is ever one sentence to identify the, the most core responsibility that you have as a parent, it's that. If you have a child, your job is to nurture that special thing in your kid. And it may not be the special thing you love. It could be a sport you'd never wanted to play. It could be a talent you never cared about. And when Chris says that to Gordy, it becomes apparent what Chris is really doing is he is now stepped in as the person to make sure Gordy doesn't lose it. And to me, that's the most beautiful part of the whole movie. Like, I, I just think that's incredible. Full truth. I love yeah. that line. That's yeah. Good. yeah. I was absolutely. like, wow, yeah. what a flip it on. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> He's almost being like the surrogate parent mm-hmm. or like the surrogate older brother. Because he lost his, you know, real brother, but he gained a new one with Chris. The adulthood of them all. They all seem 22, 23 with how kind of profound they are mixed in with the kid stuff. Yeah. Like when they give the advice and they're smoking too. Great kid smoking movie. You don't see that too often. No, well, cabbage. They had to do. They had to smoke cabbage instead of tobacco oh, really? because of yeah, because of uh, labor laws and and uh, really? home laws. So all the cigarettes they're smoking are actually cabbage. Yeah, and they're saying lines like wow. nothing like a smoke after a good meal. It's yeah. like that's a right. 23, 24 year old thing to well, say. But that's. I'm actually glad you brought that up because I think that, I think that's a great point. Like that's again one of those like really kind of cool nuanced parts. Like that's what 11 and 12 year olds do is they hear they hear something an adult says and they try Mm -hmm. to co-opt the maturity of it so they're doing Mm -hmm. that anyways by the adventure and and the independence and they're going to find the dead body but then rob liner and stephen king they're doing it in the small little pieces like that where it almost is meant to be satirical that they're pretending to be adults but that's what this whole journey is is them trying what do we do as kids we pretend to be adults until what happens we become adults so that's what this whole movie is. is that, it, yeah, I know. It's way right. yes, You wish you had never pretended. <laughs> I hate a childhood, actually. So <laughs> That's in line with your brand. <laughs> I have friends like this. I mean, like putting your arm around someone and telling them, I believe in you. Yeah. Did you have friends that really told you that? Because it's like what every kid's dream is. You know what I mean? When you're down to have Chris Chambers say, I believe in you, go yeah. for writing. Our 12-year-olds, that, we just made fun of each other and held our feelings aside. I'm I had, a millennial, so maybe that's did, what we did. Did you... Maybe a better question. Did you ever deal with Armand? Maybe maybe more for you than Max, because I know Max has dealt with an enormous amount of wild, weird things in his childhood that he tells about all the time as he's shaking in the corner and weeping. For I'm totally Jesus kidding. Christ. I'm kidding. You had a great child. You you have two amazing parents and a wonderful sister. I do. It's just Anxiety. the rest of the world yeah. that shook you yeah, up yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. But but Armand, when you when you were growing up, did you ever deal with? you know, tragedy, the, you know, around that mm-hmm. 10, 11, 12, 13 year old age, like a grandfather passing away, a friend passing away, kind of like a, what I would consider a catalyst event that would draw some of those things. I mean, if you want to count high school as childhood, yeah, those huge events, like I had a friend that died when I was in 
high school. I think I was a sophomore. Yeah, that was a that was a huge moment. Like, which we're gonna get into the theme of loss of innocence, where the world doesn't care about you, and the and the world will tear you apart. And that's you know part of the journey. And as a parent, you want to shield your kids from mm-hmm. that as much as you can. But eventually, you need to give up your kids to the world, and the world is vicious, and it will you know it won't pull its punches. And that's one of the big things with life is dealing with the inevitability of death for people that you love, people that are close to you, and eventually you yourself, because time has a hunger for us, and eventually it will consume us. This is a PSA for parenting. Like, you should watch this before. Like, look what happens if you don't, you know, support your kids. I agree. Maybe the beauty of this movie is that it's like a mood ring, right? You can wear Mm. it with any mood you have, and it's going to show you a different color. And so at yeah. this at this point in our life, we're seeing it probably differently. And the reason I asked you about the tragedy piece, it goes back to Max's question, asking if I grew up with friends that would put their arm around me. I, these five or six guys that I've known forever, they're terrible. We're still horribly mean to each other. We put each other down. There's virtually no support. I don't even think they listen to our podcast. Like they're they're kind of like, okay, leave me alone. I, I listen to you talk all the time. I don't need to listen to the podcast. <laughs> but in those moments of tragedy, in those moments of of need, their support is so unwavering that it's uh, to me, it's you're, you're walking a tightrope your whole life. But when you have those kind of people in your life, you know, there's a net. So no, the net's not going to help me walk the tightrope. The net's mm-hmm. just there in case I fall. And that's how I kind of look at these friendships. These guys are brutal to each other. Yeah. They're really they're, bad. They're really mean to each other. And that, but that's okay because that's the, that's I, I, their friendship is exactly how all my friendships were. But when things get bad, whether it's the, the junkyard guy you know, uh, uh, attacking them, (laughs) whether it's, you know, Ace doing it or whether it's them attacking themselves emotionally, you know, they are there as this support mechanism. And that to me is that's, that's friendship, man. Right. Like friendship is one brutal sequence of being mean to each other after another until something really terrible happens. And then boom, they're there for you. Max, this is you and I, Yeah, (laughs) right. Like I am so abusive towards you, but like when you need it, I'm there for you. A drop of a dime. It's very jarring. I don't like it. <laughs> it's, like, it, it's night and day. Just go down the middle. Give me B minus. No, nah, can't do it. Can't do it. Sorry. <laughs> right. And like growing up, like, you know, similar with you, uh, Mo, like I had friends that, you know, we were close to each other and like we held each other up because like in middle school and elementary school, we were bullied because like we weren't quote the cool kids back then. We were you know, the nerds, the outcasts, the weirdos. And I remember this one time my friend was overweight, so he would get bullied a lot. And there was this one kid and he, it was, it was after school and he was like picking on him and he was like kind of cornered. And what did I do? I came, I went to the bully and I depanced him. Nice. Nice. There's nothing, there's nothing like a good pantsing. <laughs> depanced him. My friend pushed him over and then we ran and I was like, that is what you do. Yeah, when yeah you're absolutely. Absolutely. Nowadays you go to jail for 14 years, but the back then <laughs> it was okay. That kind of stuff flew. Well, you point a right. gun at him. You can do that now. You can point a gun at him. Yeah. <laughs> well, just, I mean, for, those, movie, for those, I'm just clarifying for those listening, Max is referencing the movie in Ace case you haven't seen it. By the way, that's like the scariest bully I've ever seen. So Kiefer Sutherland, who is right. known as being a method actor, really got into that role. And yeah. he and all the other actors were okay with it, except Jerry O'Connell did this. Inter- <laughs> if you listen to Jerry O'Connell today talk about it, he's like, I was terrified of him. Like, yeah. absolutely terrified of him. I want nothing to do with him. He, he made me uncomfortable all the time. This is my favorite Kiefer right. performance ever. When he has a knife out and he goes, you're dead. I'm like, I look behind me. I was like, is someone behind me in the window? <laughs> it's terrifying. He's, he's really good. Or, or when he's playing chicken with the cars, he goes, I win. He's yeah. drinking a beer. Yeah. Yeah. With his yeah. toothpick in his mouth. And like yeah. a matted out, non-painted convertible. Yeah. And he just, he he made a huge lumber accident. He's great. He's great. He's great. Everybody's great. Look, even... Uh, this is totally irrelevant to what we're talking about, other than we're starting to discuss just nerding. Some of the yeah, we're nerding well, out a little bit. Do you know who the dad is? Do you know Gordy's dad? Oh, is? before you no, do, no, no, Gordy, you hold on. So, uh, Charlie Hogan. You guys remember that particular guy in the gang? He's played by Gary Riley. I don't know if you guys know who that is, but he's Dave from uh, Summer School. Remember Chainsaw and Dave? Yeah, and and it, which is oh, funny yeah. too because the director. Do you know who directed Summer School? Carl Reiner. Carl no. Reiner. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that Rob funny? Reiner's Rob Reiner's dad. dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Max, go ahead with your stupid fact. That you you're know this one's going to blow your mind, actually. Do you know who played uh, Gordy's dad? The Nightmare on Elm Street gym teacher. 
Well, not that's not all, all he played. Well, no, but that's why I think Quato I'm... from Total Recall. Oh yeah, Quato. <laughs> Start the reactor. Come on, you love Total Recall. I do love Total Recall. Yeah, nineties movie though. But it's all right. Yeah, yeah. It's all right. So speaking of Keith Sutherland, yes, he was such a good antagonist, and I do have to say, like, who the heck bullies kids like that? He's a grown ass man. Right? He's like. I'm gonna cut you, and he pulls out the knife. And His brother like, oh, just sits there and is like, was, "Okay with he it." He's gonna cut him. There's nothing scarier than a bully that freaks out all his friends when they go too far. Yeah, like when even when their friends are like, "Hey, let's dial it down." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh no. And that's the part of it too. This goes back to what you're talking about, Armand, with the mortality and in the circumstances where you're just being threatened. It doesn't mortality doesn't play as big of a role. But when you actually see the dead body, like that's the bar mitzvah for these guys, right? Like that's where they mm-hmm. become men. They realize like this isn't a joke, right? These threats are not just superficial in nature. They have real tangible consequences. Our brains right. are actually developed in a way that we're not supposed to at that age have the same degree of fear and concern really? about life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a bunch of studies done on social emotional development and how we view things, but you don't want children to walk around with anxiety of death the same way that I do at 42 after eating a large pizza at two in the morning. You know, like it's, it's a different mentality, like right? You know, there wasn't <laughs> that, that head too close to home. <laughs> I'll be specific. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, like I love how the movie and the book puts it. Like when they see the dead body, when they finally get there, mm-hmm. they realize that this kid wasn't sleeping he wasn't taking a nap. He wasn't hurt. He was dead. Mm-hmm. And there's this sense of finality with it where they realize like, oh, like you said, it's their bar mitzvah. It's where the loss of innocence happened. They're, they're no longer kids. They are now men. Like the kids that went off on this journey in Castle Rock, when they come back to town, they're forever changed. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. kind of like the Lord of the Rings moment with Frodo and Sam. When they left the Shire, they were one person. And then when they came back from Mordor, they're, it's like, yeah, they're the same person, but they're forever changed from yeah. the experience. And it's so strange that you think that experience would bond them, you know, 30 years from now, they'd be having beers and hanging out. The way it ends when you're like, you know, Vern just became a forklift driver, Teddy, odd jobs, and really couldn't keep things going. And, mm-hmm. you know, Chris died and they hadn't talked in over 10 years. Mm-hmm. That hits harder to me, that part of it, that there's, it was this two day moment and then it was gone. And it's, it's the most important moment in their lives and mm-hmm. then it's over. See, I think, I think that's, a, I think it's a critically important part of the story. So I think the the lazy way to tell stories like that, and I see a lot of people do this in films. Is what I was talking is, about. Is what you were talking about, where it's like, yeah. oh yeah, you know, and 20 years down the road, they're at their buddy's wedding. The, the significance of telling the story that way is to make the point that these relationships on the timeline are blips on the radar, but the significance of them, to your point, that two days, that two day trip, the, the the significance of that two day trip, you have to view life that way. If you view friendships as what's it going to be worth to me in 15 years, they don't hold the same value as they do when Armand pants that guy, right? I bet you if you reached out to your buddy who hopefully, mm. you know, I, I bet he's like a bodybuilder now because that's what happens, right? Anybody who's like a, a punk <laughs> ball when they're younger, they, they're, they're going to show the world, right? But I bet if you he lost out, a lot of weight, yeah, yeah, perfect. I bet if you reached mm-hmm. out to him, he'd be like, honestly, like I will never forget that because you, you were the Chris Chambers, you proxied your confidence to him. So that I think that's, I, I think it's wonderful that they did that. But I agree with you, Max. It's like a, such a strong point, point in the yeah. film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And when he's looking at the computer screen at the end, I cry every time, every single time. If yeah. I could have one piece of movie memorabilia, I know we do those episodes once in a while. The one that's emotional to me is that computer. Yeah. I want that that Jesus does anyone yeah. on there. And yeah. I'd look and I'd put my hands in my pockets <laughs> and I'd play with two 12 year old boys outside. Well, that, and that even that detail to me is that's for no, that doesn't the work. last that's, sentence. Yeah, is, cut that out. No, no, no. <laughs> we'll add it to your boyfriend's remark. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> oh, Max. But that's like, I, I, I like, I've just to nerd out for a second on something that I don't think a lot of people notice. Even when you see, you know, when you see uh, Gordy as an adult, and the whole movie, the score of the movie is playing Stand By Me, but as a drawn out um, kind of orchestra based. If you listen to it, it, it yeah, it's, it's really it's really great how they do it. And they don't play the full song until the end of the movie. I at, dance every time at the end <laughs> at the end of the movie. As the credits are starting to roll, what you see is Gordy going with his son and his son's friend. And they're on the front yard and they're taking off, but he kind of does like a little like, uh, you know, tickle, like slap and tickle, you know, poke him, you know, yeah, joke of life. He's playing with him. Now. And that's really important because when you think about the relationship they showed w- between him and his father when he was younger, that's the whole point yeah. is that like it's this broken cycle of dysfunction mm-hmm. and parenting and that 
he is now creating these healthy relationships with his son because on that weekend, Chris Chambers was there for him because on that weekend, like that to me is like ties it all together. I love that little piece at the end where you see him being a good father, because that's really at the end of the day where the train tracks took him is to be not, Mm. by the way, tell me that Gordy's father isn't the worst father in all film (laughs) because he is so (laughs) awful, like heartbreakingly awful, right? Vader's not great. Mm -hmm. Vader turns. At least he redeems himself. A ton of people. He turns. He redeems himself. <laughs> I'm all about redemption. There's no resent redemption for his dad. That's true. Yeah. I mean, but it it shaped Gordy to be the man who he would become mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And let's get into the end of the movie. So when you pitch this movie to me, you're like, oh man, I'm gonna cry at the end. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. I clarify, Max. Max said that. You sob. <laughs> Dang on it. <laughs> yeah, I I cry during movies. You know, I'm very emotional when like. The emotions are high mm. in a good story. And I read the book first and I got to the end and I was like, oh, okay. I mean, yeah, you know, you know, moving on, growing up, like it's a it's a big theme. But watching Rob Reiner's interpretation of the book and how he has his actors emote and like the use of silence and just just fantastic directing on his part. Mm-hmm. And I needed a a good 10 minutes or maybe that entire evening when I watched the movie to just, it was just, I was not emotionally prepared for that. Even though I knew the ending, I was still not emotionally prepared for what I was about to watch. And it makes you think back to those childhood relationships and it happens more often than not. Maybe not for you, Mo, but majority of people, you know, they, they move past their childhood friends and, like I said, I'm envious of you, Mo. If you met if you met these guys, you would immediately they're see psychopaths. they're 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 all like they they're basically I, I'm friends with five aces. Yeah. But I'm still <laughs> friends with them. But they're just so we're clear, they're five aces. That's a full hand right there. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's yeah, it's uh it's a flush. <laughs> I'm so glad the ending I mean that's exactly how I feel. I couldn't some I couldn't summate it better, you know. That's just this movie's special. It's just not many movies in 90 minutes can do that. Take you on a journey, make you think about your life, make you think about your childhood and also entertain and be really fun and silly too. And pretty much universally, like you said, any age group, you're going to feel, you're going to pick something different out of it. This is when we talk about the Goonies. And I think the reason that sometimes you'll laugh at me about not understanding what my obsession with the Goonies is and why I love it so much. The Goonies is basically the Disney version of Stand By Me, right? It's the fun, mm, goofy, right. light like th- there's not as much at stake. The parents aren't horrifically dysfunctional with the exception of Mama Fratelli. All the other parents like love she their kids. Mom. She had a great mom, right? <laughs> but the reason at core that I love movies like this, whether it's The Goonies or Stand By Me, is because this adventure and journey of friendship and where right. it takes them is just, it's touching, especially I do feel bad. Like I wish there were movies out there that were kind of the female cast version of this. Now and then. I've never seen Now and Then. You seen it, Armand? It's good. Christina no. Ricci, Melanie Griffin, Dick oh. Moore. It's them okay. talking oh, about being wow. 12 oh, okay. years old in the 60s. It's great. I'll have to, I'll have to watch because I think to myself, like, I really would love for my daughters to be able to now have. Now, I'm telling you. It's, like, if, when you made the comment about, like, that Stand By Me should be remade, and I kind of laughed at you. Yeah. This is one of those movies, like, not Ghostbusters, but this is one of those movies that I would love to see remade with a female cast because I feel like there's so much there for, for young women to be able to see the bond and beauty of friendship. Like, I talk to Trish about this all the time the dynamic dysfunction of friendships between men and friendships between women, it's a social construct. It's not necessarily, there's nothing fundamentally different, but like I'm incredibly thankful for the relationships and friendships I have. I just wish there were more things that were supporting the same things with like, like I said, for full female cast, that'd be great. Yeah. And there's also, there's an African-American semi version of this, uh, boys in the hood, John Singleton. Oh yeah, that is. Yeah. He's a huge fan of stand by me. And there was a lot of tips. Yeah. The dead body, friends ripping on each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good call. I never really thought that it does have that same kind of, uh, you know, evolution of friends supporting each other in dysfunction. Yeah. Got boys to men. (laughs) (laughs) Can we think of anything negative about the movie? Let's try. Can we? Is is there something? Let me propose you this. Sure. So going off of the idea that if they were to remake this today, Mm -hmm. they would totally change the ending. Like if it was made today, we were touching upon this earlier, there would probably be like a wedding scene at the end. Right. Flash forward wedding scene like, oh, and then surprise surprise my best friend when i was 10 shows up and he would he would look directly at the camera and be like you think i would miss your special day <laughs> <laughs> and they'd be like oh i'm so glad you're here uh, it's so he true. is my best man and he would so walk true. up the aisle 
freeze frame, smile, oh, fade man. to black. That was a good freeze frame. I, the 80s define freeze frame. <laughs> they do. They do. <laughs> like that would like even though that would be a heartwarming ending, that wouldn't be a meaningful ending right. to no. this movie. Like it would, they would totally be cheesy, and like it wouldn't. Probably we wouldn't be talking about it today if like if it was that ending mm. instead of the ending we got, which was Gordo as an older man. Uh, looking back on his life, and he's lamenting the death of his friend, who unfortunately, you know, got stabbed because he was being a good guy and trying to break up a fight, and he got slashed through the throat and died almost instantly. And the quote that he was writing down was, "I haven't seen him in ten years, but I'll never forget his friendship. And I've never had any friends later in life like the ones I did when I was twelve." Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Jesus, does anyone? And... That hits so hard for me because, like, it's true. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Max, like, busboys yeah. in life. Like, friends come and go. But the ones that you had when you were a kid, you'll never forget them. Man, it's, it's way yeah. more emotional than I thought it was. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I knew it was, but I was like, oh, man, three dudes just le- almost leaking. You, you, <laughs> know, you know, it's, it's interesting, too, because you, the fact that Chris dies... Right, so you see the newspaper article when he's sitting in his car right at the beginning of the movie. I thought that was a surprising choice, right? To show it right away, yeah. But I, even even no, that, no, it works. Yeah, but I thought there'd be this huge gravitas to it if at the end you found out. But it, it makes sense why he's recalling and telling the story, though. It's funny because right. what the movie does is it plays with your sense of justice. So one of the mm. things that films can do a great job of is you invest in the characters, you invest in the story, and you want justice. Whether that's the guy getting the girl, the girl getting the guy. The superhero killing the supervillain, vengeance, the the sense of completion and that it fits together. It's a testament to how much you love Chris Chambers' character. You don't really feel terrible that he died because he lived. He got out. He He became an attorney. He didn't just fall prey to to being Mm -hmm. the bad kid from the bad family. It almost helps eliminate a need to grieve the death of his character. And again, Armand, you brought this up, these concepts of mortality and and it not being linear. So like you don't have to just sit here and say, oh my God, that's so awful. I wish Chris was alive so that he was hanging out with Gordy and it was Uncle Chris. You know, you don't feel that way. You instead relish the fact that this broken child that had all these things going on made it, became an attorney, right. like had mm-hmm. an impact on Gordy. And that that's another awesome, to me, like an awesome theme from this movie is the impact that we have on other people's lives is really how we we stay immortal. So Chris becomes immortal because of what he did for Gordy, because now Gordy has this relationship with his son, who's going to be a healthy, normal kid, who's going to have healthy, normal kids, who's going to have healthy, normal kids. So the impact of Chris Chambers lives forever, regardless of the fact that he was killed or stabbed. Beautifully said. Max usually doesn't let me talk like this, so I got a lot of emotional stuff. Yeah. <laughs> 90% of the oxygen in this room, 24-7, 365. I meant topic, not not proportion. Oh. <laughs> piss up a rope there all right piss up a rope that's good yeah the the dialogue too is so great in this movie oh my god 
like the insults are just brutal. <laughs> Two for flinching. Yeah. You used to do that as a kid. Oh, mm-hmm. God, Punch yeah. buggy and yeah. all that kind yeah, of yeah, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the cool Good thing stuff. is it's, it's in this 1959 time capsule. So it's never, mm-hmm. it doesn't age in a wrong way because it's a period piece. Right. So it's like right. you can show this to anyone. It's like, oh, you know, I'm not going to listen to something 20 years ago. That's stupid. Mm-hmm. It's just the emotions and the reactions and how the 12 year olds deal with each mm-hmm. other is exactly how we do nowadays. Mm-hmm. So it's a forever yeah. movie. Yeah. Timeless. So, to end the show, what we like to do on Syndicate is the one reason why. What is the one reason you would give somebody to watch Stand By Me? Mo, we will start with you. It defines the value of friendship. No matter how old you are, how young you are, if you need a reminder of the value of friendship, if you need to feel good about the time, the energy that you've put into friendship, it is the definitional movie of friendship. To kind of jar you out of the idea that you need to be anything other than what you're passionate about when you're young. Have that Chris Chambers inside yourself where it's like Mm. you can chase those dreams that you had when you were 12 or 13, no matter what age you are. Support yourself. That was a good one. Look at you. Nice. Nice. This movie brings it out in me. Armand, how about you? Yeah, it is a period piece, but it's also a timeless movie. And it's a movie that touches upon ideas that are innate within us all, which is accepting of death you know, cherishing friendship and also growing up. And what does that mean for a young boy and also a young girl? Yeah, this is a, a movie that will, will make you cry, it'll make you think, and it'll make you laugh. So it's a great film, and everyone should check it out. That and Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> Together, back to back. There you go. <laughs> a full spectrum of emotions. But that's it for this time on Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We've been talking about Stand By Me by Rob Reiner. Please check it out where it is available. And now I would like to take a moment to thank my guest, Max and Mo, for coming on to the show. Our absolute pleasure. Loved it. Yeah. No, honestly, we we often on our show, it's a different kind of feel, different we're kind of high-paced, goofy, 80s silliness. Mm-hmm. Rapid and, fire. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and Buzz in the Tower has got its place in time, but today was really exciting for both of us. We had a blast talking about a movie that we both feel real strong about. So thank you so much for having us on. Oh, you're welcome. It was a great conversation. And if you'd like to hear more of Max and Mo, please check them out on your favorite podcast app at Buzz in the Tower or follow them on Instagram at Buzz in the Tower, B-U-Z-Z-N, The Tower, for all the 80s goodness. But if you'd like to keep this conversation going, please add us on your favorite social media platform at Syndicate, C-I-N-E-D-I-C-A-T-E, Syndicate, on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Have questions or film recommendations? Please email us at info at syndicate.com or visit the website syndicate.com. And until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see No, I won't be afraid Oh, I won't be afraid Just as long as you stand Stand by me